I'm feeling a little antsy today because I'm speaking about a subject which is incredibly important, but also difficult. So, if you would, even though we just prayed, I would, I would like to pray again. So, let's just pray. Jesus, you are good, you are true. You love us with all that you have, with your entire being. You have made us your children. And you call us to understand what it is that you have taught us and to live in light of that. God, help us to understand you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. When I say words to you like obedience, submission, authority, or rule, how does that make you feel when I say these words? Do you feel warm fuzzies? Do you feel a level of excitement and joy? For most of us, these words actually leave a bad taste in our mouth, don't they? And for most of us, this instinctual reaction we have against these words is not for no reason, but oftentimes because we have been hurt before by someone in authority, by a teacher, by the government, maybe a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, Maybe by a church. Maybe by your pastor. And when we get hurt, what we do is we build up a wall so that we won't get hurt again, don't we? And when we get hurt by authority figures... Human beings who make mistakes and get petty and do stupid, hurtful things. We can build a wall that generalizes against all authority, can't we? And words like obedience become dirty words to us. As a quick note, may I just say, if I have hurt you, may I say I'm sorry? Sometimes I do things and I can't explain why I do what I do and I, or I don't listen well or I don't hear well or I don't remember well or maybe sometimes I just think my way is better and people get hurt. And this is not meant to be a blanket. I say this and there are some cases where I may need to have conversations with people, I know. But I just want to say, I'm sorry. Because when, when we get hurt by people in authority, it's, it affects our view of God, doesn't it? It's more understandable to have a difficulty trusting a specific authority figure who has hurt you. But may, may I suggest as we dive into this next step in our series... That we not throw out the baby with the bathwater 
and avoid the idea of obedience entirely. Lift this up again so I can see better. You see, I think that Christians they suffer from a misunderstanding of obedience. Let me say we instead of they, because this is my difficulty as well. At a deep level, we suffer from a misunderstanding of obedience because when it comes to God, we have a misunderstanding of the concept of grace. Right? We understand the... The basic, some of the basic ideas of God. We get that God is really big, right? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent is the fancy word that people use. We get that he is really smart, the fancy word being omniscient, all-knowing, right? We get that he is really strong, the fancy word being omnipotent or all-powerful. But when we forget that God deals with you and with me through grace, We picture our relationship with him to be sort of a work contract. Through that lens, obedience becomes a matter of earning or proving or maintaining. And obedience becomes a chore and a weight upon our hearts and our souls and our lives. Obedience becomes difficult. And yet Jesus spoke to us and he said, take my my yoke upon you because anyone remember the verse? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can that be? How can that be? In this step along the faith path, understanding grace better, we've been asking the question for the past three weeks, including this one, why do I need to understand grace better? And over the past two weeks, we have said that we need to understand grace better because it leads us to better understand trust and it better leads us to better understand love. And today we're going to see we need to understand grace better because grace is the best motivation possible for a life of true obedience. Grace is the best motivation possible for a life of true obedience. You might say, that's really weird, Adam. I thought that it's possible to preach too much grace. And if you preach grace too much, then people will take advantage of that. and They'll think that they can sin it up and it won't matter. Not if we understand what grace truly means and how it motivates a life of true obedience. When we understand that, we understand the joy of obedience better. And nowhere, I think, shows this better than Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14. If you have your Bibles with you, I would recommend you open to this, by the way, and put a star by these verses. Because these are some wonderful, incredible verses that all of us should know. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works.
in this passage as we are taking a look at it today. I hope that we'll together see that God's grace is what saved us. That it's God's grace that draws us away from sin and that it's God's grace that draws us into godliness. And through that, hopefully, we will together see that it's God's grace that provides the best motivation possible for living a life of true obedience. Let's take a look at that first point. God's grace saved us. Now, most of us, this is a pretty familiar topic, but this is the core foundation for what we're going to be getting into. So we've got to really dive into this. Nevertheless, we're going to take a look back at this passage again. Titus chapter 2, and I've, I've highlighted and underlined some of these words that I want us to really hone in on. We're going to look at different parts of the passage. First, I've highlighted the part that says, For the grace of God has appeared. And the first thing that it did was it brought salvation for all people. And then we see when we drop down the words, He, Jesus, gave Himself for us. This is really, really important for you and me to to really grasp. Because if we miss this point, we miss out the joy of the Christian life. Let me be clear. God did not save you and me when we were at our best. He did not save us because we proved ourselves, because we earned it, because we, we did enough good that God said, ah, man, that's someone who really wants to go to heaven, so I'm going to let him in, or her in. No, He saved us when we were at our worst. He took the full weight of your sin, and your sin, and my sin, and the whole world's sins onto Himself. He lifted it up off of our shoulders, He carried that burden, and He paid for every wrong we have done, and every wrong that has been done to us. He, through His grace, gave Himself for us, and brought salvation to you and me. And so those who trust in Him are saved. Not just to be the same people with a new retirement plan. We are saved in that we are given completely new identities. From the moment you trusted in Him, you were made, declared by God to be alive, righteous, holy, called, chosen children of God. It was given to you when you first believed in seed form, not entirely visible at first but true regardless of how you looked at the moment you believed. And one day God will take that seed and He will grow and mature it and perfect it in you so that you perfectly display God's character. But in that meantime, between the moment of belief and the moment of glorification, you have this period in between where God says, how much do you want to trust what I have already be made true of you. How much do you want to reveal it? And God's patient. He won't force Himself on you. 
Rather, what he does for you and me is he tells us the resources that are either already yours or which you have access to, and he waits for you to trust him enough to try out these new gifts, these new toys that God has given. He says, have fun with this. Play with it. Enjoy what I have given you. One day he'll complete that work, but today he lets you determine the speed at which you are transformed. Now, all this is given entirely undeserved, apart from any earning. And if we forget this, of how our relationship with God began, we miss the crucial connection between grace and obedience. So, are we, are we all on track together? Can I see some heads nodding or nodding to sleep? Great, perfect. Which brings us to our next point. Not only did, the God of gra- the, did God's grace save us, but God's grace draws us away from sin. There we go. Thank you. My clicker is not working, so I'm hindered. When you get back into the passage on Titus chapter 2, we've highlighted a slightly different section here. Now remember... God's grace has appeared, but not only has it brought salvation for all people, it also, it says, instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts. And when we look down to the bottom, we see that when Jesus gave himself for us, he gave himself for us with a purpose in mind to redeem us from all lawlessness. God's grace draws us away from sin. This is really important for us to understand because some people think that God's grace, if taught, does not lead us away from sin, but God's grace leads us into deeper and more sin. You heard that in some churches, haven't you, from time to time. Don't preach too much grace because too much grace will push people into sin. But that is not what is true. When you understand God's grace, you understand that it draws you away from a godless life and from worldly desires. Because we can fall into the deception of the world, can't we? And think sometimes of sin as something special. We can think of sin as a secret joy for us to try to get away with. And in that light, we can think of God as a cosmic killjoy, wanting us to stop having fun and just live boring Christian lives. And you and I, when we think that, could not be more wrong. We're told that He redeemed us. Do you know what redeem means? Redemption is an idea. Thankfully, in America today, we don't have slave markets. We don't have slavery in in this way. It still exists in the world and in secret ways, even in America, but we don't have it in the same public way. But back in the day, if you were to go to a slave market and walk into this public space, you would see these people lined up on the streets. Sometimes to demean them further, they wouldn't even have any clothes on, so you could be more accurate in your view of them, and you would, you would see these people that were treated like pieces of meat to be bought and sold and traded. 
And if you were to redeem one, you would say, I have the compassion and the resources to pay the price to buy that person, make that person my own, and then say, now you are free. God redeemed you and me from sin and lawlessness and death. Sin is not freedom, my friend. Sin is slavery. Ask anyone who faces an addiction from overeating to gambling to pornography. Do you know what those three things have in common? They take morally neutral or even positive things and enslave them, us to them, enslave us to those things of creation like food or resources or sex. And they take those morally neutral or even good things and enslave them to us, to our hurt. When we chase sin, we are not chasing freedom. We are chasing down our slave drivers and placing ourselves under their abusive, hurtful power. And then so many of us have the audacity to say, Jesus gives us anything other than freedom. God's grace draws us away from sin. Because Jesus bought you out of slavery to sin. You couldn't pay that price. He paid it all. And then He gave you the gift of freedom for free. What a wonderful message. Law doesn't give you freedom. Law doesn't free you from sin. The law... The whole purpose of the law, as the Bible itself clearly states, take a look in Romans or Galatians or other places, the whole purpose of the law is to teach you that you cannot get out from under the power of sin by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But grace, guys, grace, grace teaches us that we are already free in Christ from godlessness and from worldly lusts. We are free through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So why would we ever place ourselves back under the power of something so harmful to us? Grace saved us. And grace draws us away from a life of sin. And thirdly, God's grace draws us into godliness. It doesn't only teach us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. It fills our lives with something much better. As Titus chapter 2 says, we're going to look at the rest of this passage. It's filled with what God is drawing us into. God's grace appeared. And it didn't just instruct us what we should deny. It says it instructs us to live sensible and righteous and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because He gave Himself for us, not just to redeem us from lawlessness, but to cleanse for Himself a people for His own possession, eager, eager to do good works. We often focus on how Jesus gave Himself to pay for our sins, but we might forget that second part, don't we? That Jesus gave Himself for you and for me to cleanse us 
for his possession, eager to do good works. Because you see, when Jesus bought you, he understood something. We were made to chase after something bigger than us, a purpose, a drive, something that we give our lives in pursuit of and in service for. You will give your life in pursuit of something. So really, when Jesus saves you, He didn't just redeem you from the power of sin and say, go off and do whatever you like. He says, I bought you and you are mine now. You are my son, my daughter, and I am your master. And in the lordship of Jesus, there is a truer freedom than you will be able to find anywhere else in this universe. It is God's grace that instructs us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the here and now and in anticipation of the hereafter when Jesus comes in glory. And guess what? When He does, everyone will see truly that His way is best. But do you see it now enough to live like it? So that when the time comes and Jesus appears, you can say, ah, I knew it. Or are you going to live lives that say, ah, Jesus is good, but this thing is great. And when Jesus comes, you say, ah, I missed it. Not missed it as in not going to heaven, by the way. Missed it as in missing opportunities to live in light of what is true. Ephesians 2 Verses 8 through 10. I would like you to, to read this and listen to this. I'm going to read it in a different translation. We're pretty familiar with 2, 8 through 9, but I'm going to include the verse that many of us miss out on, the one that immediately falls, follows it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Guys, girls, brothers, sisters, by God's grace... By grace, God has placed a new identity in you. By grace, He has made you righteous. By grace, He has made you His child. And then, God says, I want to tell you who you are. I want to tell you what you were made for. I want you to live your best life Ever, and God says, I will lead you there if you listen to me. And when we trust that God loves us deeply, when we trust that God wants our very best, when we trust that what He says about you and about me is true, and what He says is truly the best for us, and when we live in light of what God says out of a trust and love for Him, that is obedience. Isn't that kind of obedience better? 
isn't that kind of obedience more fulfilling, more real? (coughs) That is what transforms us. Not me standing up here and saying, you better do this or else God's going to squash you under His heel. That's not what God wants for us. God wants your best and He asks you to trust in Him. And when you don't, it's not that you're hurting the infinite God. You can't really hurt Him. You can hurt His feelings. But He doesn't mourn because He is damaged. He mourns for you. Because of how you are hurt by the sins, by the things other than what is best that you are chasing. Grace is the best motivation for a life of true obedience. Jesus is the perfect picture of obedience. Jesus, the Bible tells us, didn't actually do a thing on His own. He didn't make any of His own decisions. He didn't do any of the miracles or say any of the words He said under His own power. Everything He did, He could have done by Himself, but He didn't. He did it because the Father told Him to or the Spirit led Him to. Jesus, when He came to this earth, everything He did was because of His reliance on and obedience to the Father through the Spirit. He placed Himself entirely in the hands of the Father. And Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience through the things He suffered. Guys, that obedience for Jesus, as you know, wasn't easy. And it didn't lead to a life of ease and comfort. In fact, that obedience led Jesus to the greatest suffering that he could face. Not actually dying on the cross, but separation from God. Why did he face it? He faced it for you. He faced it so that he could gain the greatest prize he could get. And that is you and me. When we learn to understand, to trust, and to live in light of the grace of God, let me tell you something. Let me, let me promise something. Obedience will start to stop being a chore. Does that make sense? Obedience will start to stop being a chore. It will stop being a pain. It will stop being a dirty word. And it will start to be the delight of our souls. Because it is the way that we will access and experience God's love for you and me. IRL, in real life. In our actual experience. It won't just be something we say is true. It will be something we know in our core. We, We gain it through faith. We gain experience of it, practical experience, where we say, ah, I just know it's true because I've seen it in my life. We gain it that way through obedience. I want to leave you guys with a twofold challenge as we head into our time of communion. 
as we remember the grace we received because of the price that was paid for us. Let me offer you a twofold challenge. First of all, if you struggle with obedience, if you struggle with a Christian life, if it doesn't seem like Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it seems a pain, it seems a chore, it seems a weight, it seems a burden, and you're not sure that you can stand up under it anymore, and there's nothing you more you want more than just to get out from underneath the weight of the Christian life, if that is your struggle, may I ask you, beg you, spend some serious, significant, devoted time diving into the depths of the grace of God for you. Diving into His love for you. Diving into how much He gave for you and how dear you are to Him and what He sings over you about who you are from the moment you trusted in Him entirely apart from works. Dive into His grace if you are struggling with the Christian life. For the second half of that. And it's important to do that step first. Okay? If you understand the grace of God, as you grow to understand the grace of God, as you begin to understand just how loved you are by Jesus, as you begin to be consumed by how much God loves you, Let that knowledge build in you this trust of God that transforms you so that you begin to live in a way that more and more will act like a mirror that displays God's character to a world that is broken and enslaved to the deceitfulness of sin. This is what God calls us to. Yes, He calls us to a life of obedience, but it is an obedience that is grounded in the grace of God because it is grace that is the best motivation for a life of true obedience. I'm going to go ahead and pray. We we all here are familiar with how communion is done. We'll just hold on to the cups until we pray together after the song. I'm just going to go ahead and pray at this time. And as I'm passing out the communion elements, ask God to reveal His grace to you in a way that will transform your life so that you can know Him more deeply than ever before. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy, Your kindness that You show to us. God, You you gave so much for us You love us so much that you gave everything. And when you call us to give ourselves back to you, it is not a demand. It is not a ha, I gotcha. No, God, you are chasing for us what is truly our best. And we might not see it now, but when we trust you enough to obey you, to live out what you say is true, God, you will reveal yourself to us even more. And show us that your way is the best. God, help us to understand your grace so that we can be transformed into people that play your life to one another.
We love you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.